This is the Airport Experience News Podcast. I'm Ramon Lowe, the publisher of AXN and the host of this pod. Please subscribe to the pod if you have not done so already. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. Also, check out our October issue of Airport Experience News, which features a great article by Andy Teljohn on Candice McGraw of CVG. Candice is our 2019 Director of the Year in the Medium Airports category. She actually even joined me on episode 62 of the podcast. Anyway, get a copy of that issue. If you don't already, subscribe at airportxnews.com slash subscribe. Well, this is episode 64, and here I chat with Paula Kuchars of Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport. And, well, you know, lots of industry news uh, makes its way to me pretty often, and most of it I really can't do anything with. Uh, and this one got texted to me and was, I was really personally taken aback. And you're going to hear me say this a lot on this episode, but Paula was one of the first airport people I was introduced to when I came to AXN, and she's been always throughout the years so kind to me in terms of sharing her time her knowledge uh, and her friendship so anyway this is just a great opportunity to listen to a respected industry veteran definitely you're going to enjoy this I know I did so anyway enough from me here is my conversation with Paula Kuchars so I'm here with Paula Kuchars the aviation superintendent and who is also in charge of Terminal 4 for Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airports at least as of this recording, she is currently the aviation superintendent um, of Phoenix. And maybe by the time some of you are listening to this, she will sadly be the former aviation superintendent of Phoenix. Paula is retiring and moving on to the next phase of her life. I wish we could all retire at 35. So Paula, thanks for taking time to speak with me. Oh, you're very sweet, Ramon. <laughs> and happy to be here with you today. Well, I'm, I'm, let's try to keep it happy because... Uh, Gosh, it, I've known you for a long time. You obviously have been in this industry. Uh, you're kind of one of the, the pillars of the industry, at least the way I see it. Um, I remember coming in 15 years ago and Pauline Armbrust, our founder, former owner, had introduced us or at least told me about you and I was like instantly intimidated. But you disarmed me immediately. Oh. <laughs> and how nice you were. Well, thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been 23 years in this business for me. Wow. Wow. And like I said, at 35, you're retiring now. So that's, that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yes. and, and let it be known that uh, we are recording this. It's 10 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. It's seven in Phoenix where Paula is. Um, and actually, Paula, actually, you said that we could actually, we could have started recording this much earlier. So essentially, I know that you and Walt Froman keep Eastern Time Zone work hours. We do. Uh, Walt is you know, a much better man than I ever could be. You know, he he works much longer hours, but we, you know, it's really important. And I found over the years to, um, number one, be reachable to all of our uh, tenants. And they are in the East Coast, a good number of them. So I'm here and the folks know that they can call me and it's before meetings start and the day gets going and, uh, an amazing amount of work that gets done between 6.30 and 8 o'clock. Yeah, um, it's funny because someone I used to work for once told me that you're, that uh, as a leader, your greatest ability should be your availability. So I'm glad that you make yourself uh, accessible to <laughs> for those on, us on the East Coast. Well, it, it's important, uh, you know, just because, and Phoenix is funny because, you know, half of the year we're on, uh, 
mountain time and half the year we're on California time. So it really gets messed up. And just being here, uh, especially when you're going through bigger projects, people have a lot of questions and they're on the road and they're uh, on the East Coast. And it's important that they can reach me. Yeah, certainly, certainly. So let's get to it. Um, I want to be selfish here. Like I said, you've impacted so many people, including myself, um, during your time in the industry. And I really want this to be a really fond look back uh, to your career. So let's just start this off with, um, how did you get into this airport? How did you get into the airport industry, I should say? You know, I believe you have a commercial real estate uh, background. Is that correct? Um, I started in the shopping center business, yes. and I did... Uh, marketing, I did leasing, I did short-term leasing, which they everybody calls pop-up now and uh, ancillary retail, but at that time it was just short-term leasing. And I also did uh, mall management. So it kind of gave me a really well-rounded um, look at uh, the business. And in that time that I, with the shopping center industry, I helped to renovate and open two shopping centers. So really I got the developer kind of uh, mentality and the, the look of, you know, what's important at that time when uh, a developer is looking at his property and, uh, you know, what has to happen going forward. So really uh, at that time, airports were obviously not seen as the environments that they are today. So you're bringing your skill set from uh, shopping centers into, uh, I guess, reimagining what they could, what the program could be, correct, in this space. Yes. And I, when I got here, the, the foundation was just starting to get laid for a change in, at that time, it was Terminal 3, and we were making some changes to... Uh, put in the right amount of retail and food, uh, retail and mixing it up with retail and specialty retail. And so re that was done on a very small scale, uh, Terminal 3. Uh, we learned a lot and learned where we wanted to head when we looked at Terminal 4, which at Sky Harbor is about 85% of our business. So did you ever see, did you at the time <laughs> see the potential of uh, this of this industry to go in the direction of elevated retail, elevated uh, food, et cetera? You know, it was very exciting then because we were just starting to see Pittsburgh had just done their work and there was some good work being done up in Portland and it was just nothing but opportunity. And uh, uh, yeah, you know, the, the vision to take something that looked rather bland or beige and take it into something that is very exciting and has that energy. And it's the energy not only from what the the operators can bring, but it's the energy of the environment, whether it's hard surface flooring or good lighting or whatever. It's that combination of energy. It's funny because as I speak to different people and it, it, the answers are usually evenly split between, no, I've never thought this is possible in an airport when I came in to, of course, I saw the potential, you know, I, I guess I want to focus more on the, the, the crazy side. I don't know if you had that reaction of like, why an airport, you know, but uh, did you have that kind of reaction at first? Well, you know, before I came to uh, the airport, I was an airport road warrior. I uh -huh. had in my career been um, traveling a great deal, in some cases, two to three weeks a month, which I know is uh, not a lot when I look at some of my 
partners that are out there almost every week. Um, but it was a lot for me at the time. And, you know, you, I had to learn to be a different um, traveler. And, you know, I, I was bringing with me a lot of the things that um, I wanted as a traveler. So let's look back. Uh, you're in space now. Uh, I'm, you've had, I'm sure, many, many memorable moments in your career. And I really would like to hear of two. One, a, a serious uh, moment where you, I'm sure you learned from it and it didn't necessarily mean that it was a successful uh, moment. And of course, the other would be maybe a funny one that I know. I'm sure there were a lot of funny moments that you can share. You don't need to out anyone if you don't want to. We can uh, change names or leave them out to uh, protect the, uh, the innocent. But share a couple of moments uh, during your career that are that kind of like stick with you, stick out with you. Well, so I think one of the biggest is the work that we did moving our Terminal 4 food and beverage program from um, leases that were old, they were 25 years old, into what we have today. And we pushed the boundaries a little bit. We um, you know, broke up the contract. We asked for only local, regional, and national concepts, which, you know, the operators were a little um, surprised because they used to pepper in their own concepts. And we really weren't interested in that. We really wanted that reflection of our um, local area and, you know, the the reliability of those national brands. And so, you know, when we got all done with that, I mean, it was tremendously um, rewarding, but the cherry on top of that was the USDOT named us uh, the um, number one airport in the country for new small businesses, and that was in like 2012, we had 14 new businesses, and that that is just an incredible um, outcome of that work. And that worked. We were working on that for close to um, you know six eight years. By the time you know you're planning and you do your infrastructure project, you do your solicitation, and the the operators do their construction, and then to have that as kind of an unexpected uh, cherry on top of the everything else. All right, come on, you got to give a funny moment, and, and okay. you, can leave some, you can leave someone out, but maybe it could have been, uh, you know, during a program build or meetings, uh, maybe during a conference, etc. It's got to be a funny moment. Well, you know, there are a lot of them, but I have to say, I think the funniest one was uh, we were doing a solicitation for retail, and uh, one of the operators was in front of us, and they uh, were in front of the evaluation panel, and they were really going uh, all out. They themed their uh, their proposal, and they themed their presentation, and it had to do with a... Uh, uh, an Arizona miner, you know, mining for gold kind of thing. And they brought this very colorful actor who was a miner and his goat in, into the <laughs> the presentation. And the goat did not care that he was in a very nice hotel and that this was very important to this operator. And while they were um, presenting, he just turned around and goat poop all over the, the carpet. And I have to say that operator just very calmly, one of the people on the in the room went and got some paper towels and things and took care of the goat poop on the carpet. And 
they just never missed a beat. And uh, the panel uh, and staff were just roaring because this goat just <laughs> took over everything. And I have to say, I mean, years later, that is so memorable to me is this this goat who just did not care and turned around and did his what? business. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm not going to ask you who, but I'm, I'm sure that when there's... No, no, yeah, it doesn't matter. It was a great moment. <laughs> um, now, next one, I'd love for you to talk about a person or persons who had a tremendous, tremendous impact on you and how. And I'm sure you've encountered many great people along the way. They could have been mentors, peers, et cetera. But talk about some people who had that impact on you in your career. So I had quite a few. I was very blessed all through my career. I worked with some great people and all the way from when I was in high school and I worked uh, for a newspaper through college and and then, you know, my first jobs. Uh, and I tried I was really thinking about this and who was the most influential. And I can't say that. I think I can say that I took some pieces from all of them, uh, you know, things like relationships matter, you know, go forth and, you know, stick your hand out and introduce yourself and develop those relationships, you know, try and be gracious, show up. That's when opportunity happens, show up every day uh, and, you know, be passionate about what you do and uh, you have to believe it. And then it's, you know, going to, come to fruition. Um, and you have to have fun while you're doing this. If sure. you can't laugh and you can't uh, see the humor in some of the craziness that we do out here, you know, you're going to crack. And uh, you really should surround yourself with good people, but you should always try and surround yourself with people that you can have fun with. And those came from very diff- uh, different people that I worked for, but that, you know, I think overall, those were the the big, big chunks of good advice. Well, talk about how, let's, let's step outside of Phoenix for a second. Like, talk about how, um, how much this is like a, a family, this industry as a whole. You know, I mentioned like Walt Froman, yourself, um, you know, and others in this industry who, I know when I came in, 15 years ago and Pauline could just introduce me to as many people as she could, but ultimately I'd have to step out on my own. And I was very blessed and lucky that uh, people were very generous, like yourself were very generous with your time if you had it, cause you know, you guys are, are out and about. Um, and every year it seems like, you know, at, at, at the conference, it seems like a great uh, reunion of sorts, <laughs> even though we might've seen each other. Last it month. really is. And we miss each other. We truly do. I mean, and all during the year, everybody's doing their own work, and occasionally there's an email or a phone call. But, you know, when we get to those conferences, it's really like a, a fraternity or a sorority coming back together. Did, did you and feel like, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, you know, I didn't feel that it was any different than what I was feeling in the shopping center industry mm-hmm. because that's really – uh, the way we work, you work for a developer who had multiple shopping centers across the country. You connected with other peers, but you didn't see them often. You said once or twice a year. So this it kind of was very um, similar yeah. to what I was used to. But when I got into the business, um, I don't think there was quite as much um, connection. Uh, 
when 9-11 happened, there was a real need for us to really start talking to each other and start to, um, you know, help strategize together, uh, you know, and Joe Anderson and Walt and all the people that were there. We started talking on a different level, and um, I think that that really started to create those stronger bonds. Yeah, uh, like you said, it, it's, it, it did bring everyone together, and it was still, even post 9-11, you guys had to pivot again and um, really set the course for what, uh, you know, re food retail programs are today uh, at that point, right? Once again, you had to pivot. Yep, and I, I think at that point, we were, you know, maybe taking a breath for six, eight months because we things had to settle and we had to figure out, you know, what the government influences were going to be and, uh, you know, taking a look at, at the future once everything settled. But, you know, business goes on and people are in our airports and they need to eat, they need to drink, they, they need to buy the things they need to buy. So there was a short breath, but, you know, we really had to get back on the horse and keep going. Yeah, no, certainly. And I'm glad you mentioned Joe Anderson because he was another person that I got introduced uh, to early on. And Joe was, you know, and I know he's looking down on us, but Joe was really, really instrumental. And in, in I remember bringing people together, but also he was so, like you are and anyone else, again, so generous with his time. Um, and he really tried to bring folks together. I, keep, I can't say that enough because that's, that's the part that strikes uh, me more about this than anything. Well, he was an expert, but he came from the the um, retail business as well. You know, so when I first met him, uh, it was you know there was an immediate connection. Because and yes. same with Walt, and there are those connections that uh, you know it's almost like you um, you did your uh, basic training there and you came up here. You know, <laughs> uh, and the industry is growing so many great people. And I think that, you know, they're bringing many, many different things, but they're, they're really standing on a good foundation. Well, I still like to see, a, uh, I, I, I personally would, and I'm going to say it now, personally would like to see a lot more folks with yours and Joe's and anyone else's background, having been on the street side retail to kind of apply some of those principles uh, into our space because it's evolving. So, uh, you know, fortunately on the street, things evolve much more rapidly, I guess, than they would in, in, in our environments. But um, I honestly personally would like to see more of that skill set. I can't agree with you more. I think it's important that we understand as, you know, our, our position, and we really do in the airport industry take a little bit of a developer position, a little bit of a mall manager position, a little bit of a handholder and everything else. But taking that position and looking um, in the future and looking at the challenges, um, you know, the street side retail, as you said, is just changing like it like a blink and of course most of us are in some kind of governmental uh, uh, structure and we don't move that fast and you know it speaks to how we hire how we retain people how we uh, uh, plan for the next uh, projects that we're doing uh, with flexibility so that we can uh, stay ahead and not look at the just the immediate uh, 
you know, solicitation or whatever, but, you know, deep into that contract, is it still going to be viable? And I think that's a huge challenge for all of us. Can we look just to the ahead? Uh, I'd love for you to look in your crystal ball, look uh, to the future of this industry. Where do you see things in terms of food, retail, passion experience, customer service, even our physical environments? And what, what, what do you see for our spaces in maybe five, maybe even 10 years from now? I see a lot more blending of, um, of uses. Um, and I think that's, street side as well. Uh, my husband and I went on date night the other day and we went to get our flu shots together. Um, and the gentleman who was in the Walgreens who gave us our flu shot uh, was talking about the little healthcare um, uh, service that he worked for. And he said, you know, you're going to be seeing this kind of business everywhere. You're going to see it in Home Depot. You're going to see it in all kinds of places because people are changing and they want services, all kinds of things in, in non-traditional places. And I think it's kind of the same thing for us. We have to open our mind and say, well, what else is, is out there? Um, and I don't think we should just be saying, oh, let's look at the millennials and what do the millennials want? Respect the millennials completely, but <laughs> we almost need to be looking at that Gen Z because yes. they're going to drive everything and they're driving it already. And, you know, millennials are young, but the Gen Z people, uh, you know, that 15 year old is doing more today than we ever imagined. And, you know, when you think you've got a 10 year lease on things yeah. or a 15 year lease, they're going to be deep into the workforce at that point. And I think you can't forget the baby boomers. I mean, we're we're not done yet. And we, we've got a lot of traveling to do. And of course, there's certainly uh, income there. And, uh, you know, I think balancing those needs of um, a little bit older population and this new population coming up at the Gen Z and not forgetting about the, the in-between groups and all of the the uh, road weary travelers and the babies with carriages and, and all of that kind of thing. I think it's, it is continually a, a challenge. And I think it, the word is just balance. You have to find a balance. No, certainly. And it's, it's, I guess you mentioned it earlier, the, the, the pace at, with which, uh, things change. I know you're referring to, uh, retail and food on the street side, but like the, the pace with which things change, unfortunately are moving much faster than we maybe in airports could keep pace with. Is that kind of accurate to say? Or, Well, I think we are saddled with a little bit more um, regulation because, yes. yes, constraints because we're maybe either government or authority or whatever that has a little bit of structure that we have to get through. And, you know, we also are brick and mortar. You know, you can't... Uh, do quite as much. You can do a lot, but you can't do quite as much. Uh, and then, of course, we, we're constrained by what we can do from a security standpoint and, you know, all of those kinds of things. So they're not insurmountable. They just have to be considered. No, certainly. And that's why I say balance. You got to just look for that balance because you're never going to get everything. Even if you start from scratch today, and build a new airport, 
it's going to be already almost behind by the time yeah. it gets built. No, I'm, and I'm glad you mentioned, you know, rather than looking at the millennials, we got to look the next, to, to Gen Z, the next group, because that's when, uh, you know, we'll probably catch up or at least hopefully right-size things. Well, yeah, I mean, if uh, they're the group and they're, they're very different than the millennials and, uh, and whatever the Gen as a Gen X, whatever the other one is, yeah. they're very different. And they're, uh, but they're the ones, I mean, we're looking at these leases and, you know, the last conferences, we were hearing that the operators are need more time because of the costs and the labor and all of this. And when you look at leases that are going to stretch out 12 years and 15 years, who's going to be in our airports at that time? And what do they want? Well, Spike is like, um, I, again, when I, when I came in, uh, leases were much longer. They were in the like uh, late teens to twenties or so. And now, you know, 10 average, what, 10 to 12, maybe seven to nine or so, uh, you know, for, for some leases. So we, that I guess in some ways can help us, you know, um, recycle, not recycle, re- repeat things and keep pace with what's on trend. So they have to, you know, every, Airport has to look out for uh, what's right for them at the time, you know, because, you know, the old joke about you've seen one airport, you've seen one airport. But, you know, all, all of us that are working for the airports are dealing with lots of factors. You know, sometimes they're political, sometimes they're brick and mortar, sometimes it's just money. And all of those things have are factoring into those decisions. So it's not like you know you can look at any one airport and say well they did something wrong you know so and so was not very smart well you don't know what else they were dealing with you know there's lots of constraints and you're you're basically doing a program trying to make sure that you answer all the needs that have to happen as best you can so you mentioned it earlier, uh, Paula, with regards to, um, you know, the next gen, the next group of folks coming through the system, just like you uh, came in uh, many years ago. And it, it's all about that silver wave of, you know, retirees. So what do you see, and maybe you, maybe you're experiencing this yourself, you know, about bringing in new folks and providing mentorship and guide, guidance uh, in this really, really unique dynamic space of ours? Well, I think uh, it's a challenge bringing um, new people in um, because they are used to working at a different pace, especially when you're dealing with a city government, a state government. Uh, you know, there work uh, we work a lot, but in some cases slower because of the processes we go through. And I think that kind of disappoints people that we move the way we do. And, you know, a a challenge is to keep them engaged Mm -hmm. and also keep them engaged for a longer period of time. You know, on the street, those younger folks can hop around to different jobs and, uh, you know, for the next best opportunity, they're happy to move around and, you know, that kind of thing. Yet the industry does need a certain amount of consistency. Mm-hmm. So finding somebody that is um, passionate and exciting and has some experience and is willing to 
devote some time into the industry. I mean, some of our solicitations, and I'm sure all the folks out there that are on the airport side will tell you from start to finish, from the time you say, I'm going to do something until the time the last nail is in the, mm-hmm. you know, could be five years. Yep. Yep. And some of our employees are here or want to be here like 18 months and it's a stepping stone. Mm-hmm. So finding the, that kind of right employee that, um, can give some longevity to a project and some um, stability is important. It's funny because in a previous episode, I started opening up uh, the podcast to questions from listeners. And one of the questions I received uh, was from Eric Friedman from New Orleans. And he asked, uh, how can we, and this is more on the operator side, not necessarily in the airport side, you know, how can operators make the jobs there um, a lot more appealing to, to a labor force versus how appealing it would be for the labor force to just work around the corner from where they live. Because again, there's a, there's a lot of constraints. And I, I see similarities in what you're saying here because um, again, with the, the, the pace that things move and people want to see uh, things kind of change and, and, and come to fruition. My response to that, and I don't know if it's applicable here, is I like to push the really cool, unique aspect and, 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 and I guess the 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 environment to be creative in the space. Because again, we are a very constrained and restricted environment. And if you can kind of survive in airports, then you can kind of make it almost anywhere. To me, I would think oh, would yeah. a really cool selling point. Like, hey, you can really have an opportunity to learn and be creative because there's no environment like ours. I'm, I'm biased when I say that, of course. Well, you're absolutely right. There isn't because, uh, you know, the uh, retail world out on the street does require it's reinvented itself several times since I've been here, you know, and that's great. It's really cool. But, you know, again, we have all of these other constraints and from an employee side, um, you, you know, I think we have been, um, I, maybe it's just uh, an interesting phenomenon here at Sky Harbor because we are so centrally, centrally located, but we have a lot of, operator employees that have been here for many, many years. They it, they get bitten by the airport bug and they love it. And I, I don't know if that's uh, organic or if that is something that uh, just good operators can infuse, but, you know, I can walk through Terminal 4 today or even Terminal 2 and find people that have been working at this airport for close to, if not more years than I have. And I know that's kind of a phenomena. And I think it's, you know, on the other hand, food operators, uh, even out on the street, they're turning over staff left and right all the time. And the food operators at this airport too, I would probably say they, uh, if they have, you know, 800 employees, they probably turn 800 more than once a year, maybe two or three times a year. But it's, it's not, the it's certainly not the bartenders who are working on tips. <laughs> no, it, no, you know they're here for a long time. No, certainly, and it, it's again. I I actually I didn't know if I ever shared this with you. I actually came prior to coming to ARN now AXN uh, from commercial real estate, and one of the services that we provided was landlord rep on the on for office and retail. And for the most part, it's 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 not. I don't want to say bland. I don't want to minimize anything, but it, it's 
rather basic. Hey, I have an open bay. Would you like to lease it? Cool. Whereas here, you are really getting creative in how you, mm-hmm. you mix together your adjacencies. You have to think of so many things when, you, when you're envisioning a program. And yes, the downside is the length of time to kind of realize <laughs> the, the program. Right. Right. And ag- again, when you're looking at commercial real estate out on the street, if a developer says, I want to invest in this and I want to, you know, put a new wing on or take this wing off or whatever, they can do that easily. Here, you know, we're bound by where the airplanes have to sit and uh, where security screening is. And, you know, we... I certainly know my pecking order and it's airlines first. And, you know, when you, uh, we exist because of them. And when you look at the fact that you can't just wiggle your nose and change the configuration of something that easily. Mm -hmm. Certainly. So Paula, I hate saying it this way, but my last question for you, Um, at least the last question for this episode, because I know we're going to keep in touch uh, afterwards, but my last question for you is what what would you, what are you going to miss most and why? Well, you know, I think I I always get very excited about the planning and the the what ifs and the mm-hmm. let's do this and that kind of thing. That that's the passion part of it. And you know, I don't think I'll be doing that. Uh, <laughs> at least not for a little while. You know, my husband and I are gonna uh let it coast for six months or so before we make any firm decisions on anything. But, um, you know, I think that that's what you miss. And I miss the people, you know, obviously here at Sky Harbor, I have a, a really good family, um, and the industry, you know, it's an exciting industry, but the good thing is, is that people do stay in touch and, um, you never know. You know, you, I run into people today that I think, holy smoke, I haven't seen you in so long, or I know you from my shopping center time. And it's great, you know, or uh, people that you've touched in your life. Uh, I, had a, I had a secretary once in the mall business that called me about two years ago, and he was flying through Sky Harbor, and he said, um, I wish you could come and meet me out here. Uh, I'm flying to my new job. I am now the uh, director of the Elizabethan or Shakespearean festival someplace. And, he, you know, he, he just had this great trajectory and you never know where they're going to come back and, and find you. And, and that's very exciting. Well, at least uh, until you and your husband, uh, you know, enjoy yourselves for a while, I'm sure we will all reconnect in some form uh, later on. I would look forward to that. Excellent. Well, Paula, uh, once again, thanks for time, taking the time to speak with me. And we're going to stay in touch. I promise that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Paula Kuchars of Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport, or by the time you listen to this episode, formerly of Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport. I hope you thought it was as great a listen as I thought it to be a great interview. It's always uh, a lot of fun. Uh, for me at least, uh, speaking to Paula and just really gleaning as much knowledge as I can from her and folks, uh, veterans, let's say, of the industry like her. So thank you again to Paula for that. As promised, a couple questions. Uh, 
Last episode, I got two from Eric Friedman of New Orleans International Airport. I don't know why he sent two, but he sent two anyway. Um, I got two again, so there's a pattern here, definitely. There, I got two questions from John Reeb of San Francisco International Airport. So, uh, whereas Eric asked me a serious question, a fun question, John did the same. So I'm going to address really the serious question first. Uh, what do you think is the next big thing in airport concessions and where do you see the industry going in the next five years to impact the guest experience? I believe that automation is going to impact the guest experience in airports and I think automation is going to be the next big thing in airport concessions. Um, you might want to lump in robotics into that, but uh, you know, as far as making it a more interesting let's say or a seamless kind of like experience uh, and frictionless transaction experience for for travelers the most the best that we can I think you're gonna see more of it um, as far as serving customers I don't know if you're gonna have robots busing and, and delivering food as of yet but I know that if, if you remember earlier this summer I believe uh, there are partnerships they're forming now. SSP and Brio Coffee House formed a, you know, they signed a multi-year agreement to bring the Brio Coffee Houses into airports. And you're going to see a lot of those, I believe, uh, in the coming years. Cafe X was at our show earlier this March. And uh, for the longest time, at least for a decade or so, uh, Zoom systems with their automated retail machines have been in this space. So I'm not saying uh, automation, robotics, etc. are going to take the form of dare I say, vending retail experiences, uh, or you're going to see a bunch of robots just kind of, you know, walking through the concourses and delivering food, engaging people, kind of like I believe it's in Changi, but um, it will be subtle, and I, I think that has a lot to do with the with labor, let's just say, the cost of labor, rising cost of labor, and really the dearth of labor out there. So you have the confluence of those two things really that are hastening, I guess, the acceptance or implementation of perhaps automation into the space. Look on the street side, it's happening there uh, in, in many forms. Um, I read earlier this year, uh, Walmart, of uh, the traditional retailers, ordered uh, uh, thousands of robots to, uh, to perform redundant tasks in some of their test stores. And they're performing tasks such as, you know, cleaning up spills, straightening up shells, ordering out of stocks, etc. And it's really just a trial. And I know some people find it to be weird, but it is soon going to be almost, um, you know, like just an acceptable thing that we see wherever we go. So if it's happening there, I do believe it is definitely going to continue to happen in our space. Um, I mentioned earlier about the frictionless experience. The other thing I think it's going to impact us, uh, it's going to be in the form of like Amazon, Amazon Go. Amazon was in the news, I believe, uh, at least as of this recording a couple weeks ago, they have, there seems to be they're doing work with OTG uh, to get in this space. And I know Amazon has spoken about getting into airports. There was an article about them almost a year ago, last December 2018, where they cited airports as a space to put in their Amazon Go stores. Now, does it make sense? Of course it makes sense. Um, it's really a really neat unit. I haven't experienced one myself, but from what I've read, you go in with your Prime account, you get what you want, and then you walk out and it just knows who you are and it automatically charges you for what you've purchased. Um, why couldn't that work in an airport? Well, I'm sure it can, but that's for uh, folks much smarter than I to kind of figure out how to make that work. But I do believe 
if it's not Amazon Go, it's going to be some iteration of it that's going to come into the space. Maybe it's more adoption of Apple Pay and Google Pay, etc. I don't know, but you will see uh, at least that kind of experience going forward. And I guess the third one, this is more of a, not a science fiction thing, just it's really related to what I had written, what I have written, and hopefully it's posted by the time you listen to this podcast, um, on virtual restaurants. Uh, if you don't know what virtual restaurants are, I guess in a very rudimentary way to explain them is they are essentially just a kitchen. They don't have a front of the house. You don't have servers and bussers, etc. And they exist primarily in a virtual world. They use delivery services like Grubhub, DoorDash, and Uber Eats. And if you are ordering from those places, you might not ever know that there isn't really I mean, there's a brick-and-mortar restaurant, but there isn't a restaurant where you can go in and sit down, etc. You just assume it's a, it's a uh, restaurant in a traditional sense. But they do not have a front cost, so they don't bear those costs. And I've read how they are impacting uh, traditional restaurateurs uh, on the street, where now restaurateurs who have never thought of using delivery services or making their food available to go are now using uh, those are implementing those services into their business. Now that's delivery services, but delivery services in the virtual restaurant uh, uh, trend or topic kind of go hand in hand. So the topic, the I guess the point of my piece was, could this work in our space? And I think it can, because you need three elements, at least in my opinion, right? One, the real estate. We do have the real estate. We have underused or uh, complete, underused or not even used uh, real estate out there, I'm sure, in airports. We have kitchens, commissary kitchens, that probably have the capacity to add and support uh, other concepts and brands. Do we have the delivery services? Well, we have Airport Sherpa, Grab, and At Your Gate, and they are making further inroads into this into the space. So we have the delivery systems. And the third is, do we have the demand? And this is a little trickier because you have to look to the street first, or it's more dependent on what's happening in the street, because if you are... Uh, and the fo- po- folks that I've spoken to for the, my piece, you know, they utilize delivery services fairly regularly, once or twice a week, maybe four times a month, etc. So as that becomes, if that's m- more of a learned behavior on the street side, the moment they're aware that we have these services on the airport side, they're just going to continue applying um, those habits in our space. So yes, they will use delivery services, deliver food to their gates. They will. We will probably start finding a way to utilize this virtual restaurant trend or concept in some way. And I think it's really, really exciting. So those are the three things that I'm, that I'm thinking are going to, uh, the next big thing for airport concessions, but I think it's going to be applied within the next five years and you might even see it, see them much sooner. All right. So the fun question from Mr. Reed, and I got to admit, just looking at it right now, it is, uh, <laughs> he says to be careful. Uh, do you have a favorite airport to fly through? Now, I, does that mean fly through is in to connect? I don't know. I, all right, so I'm going to have two options. I'm going to try to hedge. I'm not going to try to make everyone happy. One, uh, one airport, just purely for the convenience aspect of it, uh, Palm Beach International. It's literally 10 minutes from my home. I can be through security really, really quickly. And it's just so, it is just purely convenient for me, especially now that uh, I'm traveling with my, and flying with my family. I really rely on that convenience. I really do. So PBI. But as far as, I guess, just feeling like a second home or familiarity with, with the space, I'd have to say Atlanta. Uh, I fly 
I don't fly as much as as much as many of the folks that are probably listening to this podcast, but when I do, I'm either on Southwest or Delta, and that means I'm being routed through Atlanta, and it used to bug me a lot, but it really doesn't now. So if I can't get a direct, I, I do prefer to go through Atlanta, and again, it's... I've been there through. I've been through there so so much that it's almost like a second home, you know. And I actually enjoy going through Atlanta. Um, I know I'm probably gonna regret that, but I, I'm gonna stick to it now and say I really do enjoy connecting through Atlanta. I can utilize something like Grab, order something ahead, land and see, go to D to pick up my food and be on my merry way, or I just know where uh, some of my more favorite restaurants to go to are. I know where the Chipotle is. So that's, that's what's important. Anyway, so those are the two questions. Thanks to John uh, for submitting them. I do have uh, several more, and I promise to get them to them in the next episode. But if you do have questions that you'd like to ask of me, it could be a serious and a fun one. I do ask. Let's keep it fun. Um, just email me at Ramon, R-A-M-O-N, at airportxnews.com, and I promise I'll do my best to get to them. And once again, thank you so much for listening.